Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Let's remember that our inheritance is also one of destruction of thousands of ways of living around the world. Huge amount of destruction of nature that has been propagated in the name of modern progress and development. In today's episode, we're going back in time to take a better look at the world we live in today. But we don't need a time machine for this. All we need is to ask ourselves, how did we get here? How did all these scientific discoveries and technological advancements give us the gadgets that make our lives easier, the newest food trends we're always dying to try, and our connections with people from all walks of life? And most importantly, what have the comforts of the modern world cost us? I'm Nina Taralba, podcasting from the Philippines, and you're listening to Spanner in the System. This is a podcast by the ETC Group, which works to promote conservation and the sustainable advancement of cultural and ecological diversity and human rights. In our previous episodes, we talked about bananas and what they teach us about the entire chain that produces food. We also talked about geoengineering and the need for us to take concrete steps to address the root causes of climate change. In this last episode of the series, we talk about everything. Because bananas and volcanoes aren't just bananas and volcanoes. When you think of all the discussions we've had so far, it's the little things that can help us think about the modern world through a different lens. Joining us is Dr. Saurabh Arora. Uh, yes, my name is Saurabh Arora. I am a senior lecturer at Science Policy Research Unit, uh, University of Sussex. I work on very many different issues in relation to sustainability, but particularly what might be called politics of technology and science. We're here to talk about the politics of technology. When we think of science and technology, we don't usually start with thinking that there's any politics involved. Some of us might not think it's political at all. Whatever we have around us is just there to get us through the day. Like the microphone I'm recording this with. It's my daily driver for the podcasts I produce and the scripts I perform as a voice actor. Ask any enthusiast and they'll tell you that there's a different mic for every kind of voice. Mine gives my voice more body. But how can our gadgets or scientific discoveries be political? Okay, well, that's a very good question. There have been powerful sort of interests behind technologies in order to present them to society as if they are politically neutral, as if they are apolitical. Technologies should not be, and sciences also should not be put in the realm of political debate and deliberation and discussion. That has been the dominant way to approach science and technology. In fact, one would say then science then steps in to settle through the facts that it provides political disputes. So if there's a political dispute, who's correct? Hey, here's science with its facts to tell you who is actually correct in this dispute and resolve that dispute. So obviously, 
if science is political then it cannot resolve those disputes you see so science and then in in extension to science technology is presented as politically neutral what the powers that be want us to think is that science is separate from politics but it's not dr arora i'd like you to help us go deeper into the ways that we can classify the politics here i think there's uh, perhaps three easy ways to think about it first participation who participates in the development of technology we are all users of technologies that are there available to us not all of us play a role in deciding what shapes and sizes these technologies take which people participate then becomes a political question participation in anything in the development of anything is always a political question race matters gender matters expertise matters nationality matters class matters all of these questions matter in terms of determining who participates and who doesn't participate in the development of technology so number 1 who gets to be a part of developing new technology generally if the world likes the color of your skin where your parents are from or how much money you have you get more of a say in the things everyone uses Between the 1940s and the 1990s, color photography used film that favored fair skin. Fair skin looked vibrant and natural in photos, but dark skin lacked a lot of detail. It looked shrouded in shadows. Now, second, there have been ways in which politics of technology have been thought about through impacts. So, what kind of impacts does this technology produce? Does it increase inequality in society? For whom? because never are these social and environmental impacts of technologies equally distributed across all sections of any society so some people suffer harms of these technologies the adversities associated with technologies more than others marxists have also talked about politics technology in the sense of you develop new technologies what kinds of unemployment do they create by replacing jobs that were before being done by people particularly modern machinery there's been many stories of how agricultural technologies have replaced labor in factories certain kinds of technologies machine tools have been developed so numerically machine tools have been developed for example to de-skill that's another marx system to take skilled work and turn it into less skilled work within this impacts of course one should not forget the question of pollution as well so you know we know all these fossil fuel based technologies are creating pollution that is also not equally impacting all of us it's some people's homes that are submerged because of climate change and flooding that is produced which people relate to climate change it's some people who suffer more from forest fires than others that are also associated with climate change number 2 what are the impacts of technology While it may make life easier for some of us, this isn't quite the case for the less privileged. People lose their jobs. People get driven out of their homes and lands. People get hurt when technological advancements are given more importance than their rights and needs. And now Dr. Arora takes us to point 3, design. Now, in design, we can talk about what kinds of interests, imaginations and ideologies influence shape underpin the development of particular sciences and technologies so here think about the interests that i talked about earlier in terms of capitalist interests developing technologies in order to dispossess or disempower labor through de-skilling and and production of unemployment but imaginations go way further than that 
technology segregates us. The easier access you have to the best technology available, the likelier it is that you belong to powerful groups in society. Groups which control the narrative in areas like the economy, urban development, and national identity. Imaginations of nationalism through which technologies of border control are developed. You know, very simple ones like fences and walls, but also very, very complicated ones surveillance technologies of all kinds to do water control. Equally, imaginations of militarism and technologies that reflect those imaginations and ideologies of nationalism through technologies of war, weapons, bombs, and all sorts of other things. One thing in this question of the final question, which is about designs that is often overlooked, is that through technologies in the last couple of hundred years, a certain form of modern form of mastery is also being attempted or aimed at. When I talk about mastery, in the dictionary, mastery is associated with control and superiority. But equally, what the dynamic that is being aimed at is through these technologies, through these modern technologies, is one of a master-servant relationship with others who are different. That escalated quickly. From the politics of design to mastery and superiority of dominant players over marginalized people. The same people who are often disenfranchised in the development of new technologies. Well, hang on tight. We're about to go deeper into this complicated dynamic. So this master-servant relationship that is attempted at, you can think of it going back, let's say, the last 500 years to the inauguration of European empire colonialism in the Americas. So there, a certain form of mastery was attempted not just over nature that was considered to be too wild and too rambunctious. It needed to be controlled and, and you know, made more habitable, but also over other people who were encountered, who were enslaved in big numbers. Some sort of control was attempted on their bodies, on their labor, through enslavement. Why would you do that? You would do that also in order to extract a certain service from these people. So master-servant relationship then has three different aspects to it too. One is control over others who are different in nature or in society. Imagine superiority over others. Thirdly, the will to extract from others knowledge, resources. And while you extract these knowledge and resources from others, you want to be able to leave them to clean up your mess. That's what we do to our servants, right? You, I make the house dirty, you clean it. So similar kinds of relationship dynamics of modern mastery have been, I believe, uh, established or attempted through modern technological systems. We'll need a minute to let this all sink in. This idea that modern technological mastery is rooted in these impulses that a lot of people would rather we don't think about or discuss. But Dr. Aurora is drawing a powerful connection between our need to control the modern world through technology and the same impulses that drove empire and enslavement. Just like in earlier episodes, we find ourselves in the middle of these large systems that, without our awareness or consent, are part of our daily lives. 
These are things that we are taking part in, benefiting from, and complicit in. We began this episode by asking how we got here. And the thing is, getting here hasn't been pretty. The narrative of the human race is controlled by the same powers that first built empires on the backs of slaves. Today, those empires are built on smart technology and how it helps us consume media and experience the world. But what happens if we aren't okay with this? What can we do? The first thing I think there to do is to perhaps not think of ourselves as consumers, particularly when it comes to sciences and technologies, because whoever controls our science and technology, in fact, has a huge amount of control on social societal change. Technologies and societies cannot be disentangled from each other. We must therefore ask who is controlling our science and technology, and by that fact, controlling, to some extent, the process of change widely in society. If we shouldn't think of ourselves as consumers, then what should we think of ourselves as? Start approaching ourselves as citizens in relation to science and technology. And as citizens, we have certain rights in relation to these science and technologies that are given to us without any participation on our part in shaping the agendas for these science and technologies. So we must demand, as citizens, a democratic right to set the agenda for what kinds of sciences and technologies are made available to us. Uh, are these sciences and technologies once again propagating modern mastery, <laughs> the, the, the fallacy and the imagination and the hubris of being able to control nature, control other societies, control other cultures? Or are we instead promoting sciences and technologies that promote harmony, care and conviviality across nature and cultures? Think of ourselves as citizens who have a hand in how our society develops. It's such an empowering thought and so important in a world that's increasingly labeling us as consumers. Okay, what's next? We must ask, what kinds of relationships with workers are entailed in the production of the things that we are consuming? Are these relationships ones of exploitation? Or are these relations ones that empower them to develop fulfilling and enriching skills, have job security, be able to have a livelihood that is sustainable over the long run? So that's the second set of questions. What kinds of, what kinds of relationships with workers are involved in whatever that I might be consuming? And these are, again, very, very political questions because political economy, historically as a whole discipline, has been about these kinds of questions. And technologies and sciences are central to those questions. We need to ask what the relationship is between the things we buy and the workers who make those things. And finally, I would also ask, what is happening here in terms of extraction of resources from nature? Now, historically, we have maintained and sustained certain uh, lifestyles of the privileged, particularly in the global north, particularly in the metropoles of the colonial era, certain lifestyles of the privileged based upon extraction of whatever they could from wherever they could. So on the basis of those forms of incredible extraction of resources, also of knowledges from other knowledge systems, other cultures, certain kinds of lifestyles of the privileged in the global north have been sustained. Now, do we 
around the world want to emulate those kinds of privileged lifestyles based upon those amazingly complex and amazingly elaborate networks of extraction. Can we even replicate those kinds of networks of extraction now uh, in this day and age if we want to live and emulate those lifestyles of the privileged in the North? Or should we be challenging those lifestyles of the privileged in the North and say that those lifestyles are simply unsustainable and should not continue? They should be the first ones to transform their lifestyles if we are going to achieve any form of sustainability. As we start to think about the ways we live and the ways some of us might aspire to live, Dr. Aurora provides us with some more to think about when it comes to being citizens. Because as citizens, the impact of our choices aren't limited to our own backyards. And some of us have much, much bigger backyards. So let's take a step back and remember all the politics around science and technology. How do we engage with society moving forward? So there has to be a rethinking of the social contract by putting technology and nature ecology at its heart. We should ask questions about power and privilege. How is that distributed globally and in our own societies? And how certain kinds of ideas, hey, you are a consumer rather than a citizen, might be promoted in order to concentrate or to maintain the concentrations of power and privilege in society already. If you are configured as a, as a consumer, you will just consume whatever comes to you. You will not ask those questions, hey, why this and why not that? Why am I consuming only particular technologies? Why am I not promoting a diversity of ways of living? Why can't people live in their own diverse cultural ways based upon multiple different practices and rituals and, and, and ways of knowing that existed that are also currently still reflected, fortunately, in the 7,000 surviving languages in the world? Here, as we start to consider the different ways that we can be in the world, is where we can start thinking about the pluriverse. The pluriverse points on the earth to the fact that there is not just one world. There are many worlds. And what that means is that there are many ways of living. There are many ways of being. There are many ways of knowing. There are many ways of doing and caring and commoning. So let all of those ways flourish. Why do we need monoculturalism of any kind? There is no one way to be a citizen. There is no one way to be a consumer. There is no one way to do public service. It's amazing how those rich diversity plethora of public service around the world have emerged as responses, citizen responses to COVID. Where governments have failed, citizens have stepped up through those ethos, through those cultures of public service and mobilizing them and doing great, amazing things to look after each other. This idea of the pluriverse is inspiring. The many ways to live our lives and create and think and do. But as we close out our conversation with Dr. Aurora, he reminds us that we always have to root our understanding in our past and how we have gotten here. 520 years, 30 years, whatever it is now, of a rampant colonization of the planet by a certain group of people. With them came certain ways of living which they promoted as superior to all the other ways of living that existed in, in the pluriverse before, before uh, the advent of you know, this modern form of colonialism. Let's remember that our inheritance is also one of destruction of thousands of ways of living around the world. Huge amount of destruction of nature that has been prop propagated in the name of modern progress and development. 
We all need to understand that this is part of the world we have inherited. And we can still all work together, as Dr. Arora says. Well, let's reimagine a world that's not driven, that's not based upon access to modern technology. That's in fact built on flourishing of huge diversity of ways of living in which people develop their own technologies, build upon their own traditions, bring in their own languages, bring in their own foods and sustain those and re-establish a flourishing pluriverse, a convivial pluriverse in which many ways of living thrive. It's hard to get any deeper than this conversation with Dr. Aurora, where he has asked us to basically step back and re-examine the whole world we live in. Not just this world in the present, but how it is irrevocably tied to our past. While we always need to keep that inheritance in mind, Dr. Aurora also provided us with something that we can aspire to. The pluriverse. The idea that there can be multiple worlds and multiple ways of living in the world. We can make a better world by promoting and supporting all these different kinds of cultures which are influenced by where we live and the resources that are available to us. We hope that through these three episodes, we've brought forward interesting new ideas, had you rethink some things, and introduced fresh ways of thinking about the challenges of the world we live in. If you want to know more, go to the website etcgroup.org where you'll find more resources, research, and other relevant materials.